Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. All right. So, Chris, last time we spoke, uh, we ended with a teaser to bring people back. Um, but we didn't realize at the time that we'd have so much more to talk about today on Moving the Rock. Um, happy to have you here. We're going to dig in and try to get as much done in the in the time that we have allotted, brother. But um, there's a lot that's gone on the last week. Yeah, it's been a little bit more full than I would normally like. Um, so this will be the first public place I'm, I'm sharing it. Had some surgery. Uh, thought I was getting a little bit of a... Uh, thought I had a little spot of psoriasis. Ended up being skin cancer. And uh, thankfully, it was basal cell. And they took it off. And they got in there and thought, we don't have enough. So we got to take a lot more. And um, I got a facelift on one side of my face now. <laughs> It's an improvement, brother. It's an improvement. Um, I know it's yeah, hard. There's only, it can only go up. <laughs> it's hard to imagine improving on perfection, uh, but we're there. Um, and so, of course, you know, the word cancer, surgery, face, all those things evoke, you know, different types of feelings for different folks. Me, it makes, you know, my the hair stand up. I'm excited. I can just, you know, I, I can imagine going through that, being awake through it, all that stuff. But it's relevant to today's conversation because we're talking about, um, you know, we're talking about sales. And last time we talked about the relationship that we build with the buyer and how we have to be buyer centric. And last time we talked about defining the problem uh, because that's where the buyer's head is at in the problem. Um, and just like your doctor, right, had to do when you went to see them, the doc had to make sure you fully understood the problem mm. before you would accept the solution. Surgery? Hell no. Mm. <laughs> right? Um, you know, so as salespeople for today's conversation, we, we I want to talk about this idea of leading people to change, right? What's really interesting is the decision to buy follows the decision to change. I can't sell you shit unless you're ready, willing, and able to make the move. And for as salespeople, we cannot show up and assume that the people we're talking to are where we are, see the vision that we see and are ready to make the move. We have to have that, uh, that uh, we called it last time, that um, uh, appropriate level of, of patience right? Mm -hmm. And we have to meet the client where they are. How do we know where they are? We ask questions. And then we have to move them to change. We have to lead them down the path to change. And when they're ready, willing, and able, then we can help guide them to our solution. I love it. And then this is for me, what I think was the early resonance 
and the overlap of our models, how we approach things, because we understand it's, you know, it's not just personal transformation. It, it, it has to overflow to a place of leadership. And for you, it's not just sales. It overflows to this place of leadership that the umbrella, this idea of leadership is so big. And and I love the way that it, you frame it. We're not selling, we're leading people to change and all that comes with that. So it's stuff we've already hit on at this point that, you know, we can't lead people somewhere we're not willing to go. So there's an authenticity and, and, right. and an overflow of like, this is my truth. This is what I see. This is what I would use. This is what I would do if I were you. I mean, that was actually the thing that the surgeon said to me yesterday. He's like, look, we could do two different kinds here. And if it were me, I would do this one. And, and I had already done my research. Everybody had been like, the, the one you want to do is this kind. And so, you know, I was already there. But <laughs> when he said that, right, he's trying to lead me to change. And he's not trying to lead me somewhere he wouldn't go for himself. And so the idea that we're leading people, you know, I love it. And that's where we, where we left off last time, this idea of the problem. I think that presents the challenge, like the next challenge. Because yes, they've got to see that problem. But as we come around and rally to what the change is going to be, once change starts to emerge in the conversation, right? Right. That's when we find out how much do you really want this? Right. And it's our job as leaders, as salespeople, to make sure that we check in with the buyer. Now, when I say leaders slash salespeople, this is, this is a technique that we teach to leaders, Chris. I mean, this is not just uh, a sales, a way to sell, right? Because leaders have their own set of buyers, right? A leader can have a team of people who are there because they want to, or are there because they have to, right? Or they feel like they have to. Uh, how do you um, motivate and um, align that team to a common cause, you have to share that common cause. That common cause is the solution. You share that common cause only after the team agrees on the challenge in front of them, the problem in front of them, you know, what, what they are there to do together. We're going to take that hill. Let's talk about that hill before I talk about the technique or the strategy for taking it. Same thing in sales. Um, and to your point, Chris, about we can't lead somebody somewhere that we're not willing to, to go ourselves. We can't move someone to change unless we ourselves are experienced with the process of understanding and dealing with change, much like what you've been through with your surgery. Um, why not? Because there's a level of authenticity, right? I know when I'm talking to somebody that doesn't really get it, but I also know when I'm talking to somebody who does get it. And it's yeah. that moment of realization that I'm talking to somebody who gets me, which allows me to drop those barriers and begins to build the respect and the trust required to advance the relationship. Man, I, I love that. And I want to comment on this idea of like, you know, when they get it, you and I don't think this way, but I think people could hear that and go, yeah, they, they, they're enthusiastic too. What, what Jimmy is saying there is not about them matching your personality in its expressiveness. If you're extroverted, they're extroverted. If you're introverted, they're introverted. Their, their enthusiasm is going to show up unique to their wiring. And that's like a, that's like a thing that you got to get past 
fast as a leader, leading in sales, leading change in an organization. In fact, the people that are full of a lot of vibrant enthusiasm fast, that typically will fade the fastest. Not always, but often. Um, But instead, it's this process that you go through, and that's the earlier episodes. Go back to those, listen to those. As you're guided through this process and you're guiding them through these questions, you come to this agreement on the problem. Well, now the change can really kick in, right? Uh, I don't have buyer's remorse very often on self-development stuff. And I've got this program I'm in that I joined a year ago that is just not finishing strong. And and I've tried to like voice my concern. It is a, basically a coaching kind of thing. And, uh, you know, we agreed upon the path we would go down. And, um, you know, there's there's some stuff that they've got to own because I'm a guy who's willing to do the work, right? Like people that know me know. I'll change tomorrow. I'll change right, right now. Right. I'll change five seconds ago, whatever, except my face, right? I put that off for five <laughs> years. So we all have our hypocrisy. Uh, but, you know, the there was something that was missed in that process. And, and it may be on me. It may be on them. I'll accept 99% of the responsibility because I think that's healthy and say I failed to nail down some things. But if they were the the kind of professionals that we're describing, they would have rooted that out then. Um, Here's a question for you. How you think about like selling change, persuading change, 98% of what is it? Heart attack patients, you know, go back to the way they were living before. The number's crazy. I forget what it is. You know, they go go back to eating how they were, their exercise habits. What isn't happening in that situation? Where does the breakdown occur? Are they not getting clear alignment on the problem? What do you think? Well, um, I have my own theory in the context of my world. So, and it's just based on 30 years, you know, 6,500 clients, 10,000 working sessions. You know, there's some, there's some. So not much there. Validity <laughs> here, right? Yeah. There's some validity, but again, I, I, I open, there's so much room for interpretation, right? So even research is open to interpretation, which is why it has to be reviewed and tested. So here's my my deal when uh, we have this thing called the new growth curve and there are three sections to it. And what's really interesting is that when we study our, our best clients over time, uh, very quickly, we can make small adjustments like the wins model. We can make small adjustments in how people behave and how they think that will have significant impacts on revenue. We had a client um, just go through our prospecting program and she added $50 million of qualified opportunities to her pipeline in one month. Now, mm. It was because she was enthusiastic. She was, the training was fresh. We had just gone through role-playing. We solved all the major problems that were in front of her and she went and executed and executed flawlessly. Why, why did she, as in our words, why did she resort back to her equilibrium, right? Same thing with the cancer patient, same thing with the heart patient, same thing with the diets. Why are we on yo-yo diets? I have this, and it comes from my own experience. I had a life coach for 10 years, man, when I was making my transition from, you know, a, a live real asshole to now just a recovering asshole in, in, ter- in the context <laughs> of sales. And I say that with love, you'll, as you get to know me, you'll understand where that comes from. But we resort back to our equilibrium, our place of comfort. When I was losing weight in my thirties and forties, right? I would, I would feel good. And then I'd be like, oh, I can afford to eat that. And then I kind of resort back to my equilibrium. So there's this comfort zone that we live in that 
that um, is always calling back to us. You know, why don't, why don't, why doesn't growth, why can't we sustain growth? Because we take on or go back to old habits. Um, our, my doctor, who's got me on my current diet I've been on for the last uh, eight, eight or nine years, he has, he has thousands of thousands of, uh, of documented uh, visits with his clients or his patients that demonstrate, look, when you take the protocol, life gets better. When you go off the protocol, life gets work, worse. And people would go off the protocol because they started feeling better, never thinking yeah. about why they were feeling better, right? It's because you're on the protocol. It's not something you can stop. So I really, I feel like we are so, our identity, something you know a lot about, is so wrapped up in um, the things that we're used to, that this new stuff, um, there's that 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 uh, equilibrium is always pulling us away from where we find ourselves, where we where we've been able to what we've been able to achieve, and it just kind of sucks us back, draws us back, and we get into this yo-yo, which is why again, a coach or a dear friend, somebody who can help you navigate or be aware of those challenges. Uh, before they begin occurring, uh, can help you kind of stave off that regression. Yeah. Well, and and, and I want to highlight why the model is so powerful uh, of what we're laying out here, because um, there, so there was a book written uh, 2007 called Change or Die. And it was all about like three case studies, one of them being heart attack patients, hmm. uh, why they don't change. They're going to die and they don't change. And then they studied when they do change and they found three causes. When they, when they change, three reasons. They get small wins, start building momentum. Right. Micro learning. You teach that, appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. The last one is a culture or community right. that normalizes right to new behaviors. Yeah, love you that. Get that. It's why we do the work that we do. But right. here's the middle part. The second one, there has to be a commitment to change. Like they don't, and 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 there for me in the self help movement, the reason I push against a lot of it is because it can be hype and forcing, and it's just this frothy uh, commitment to something different. It's not an accurate and precise commitment to change. Like it's not definable. It's not into your calendar it's not into steps it's an emotional expression that that doesn't necessarily land in the changed routines and systems of your life it's an expressed intention that never moves into you know strategic and tactical action yeah love it so so here's the thing for me though and i think it's important for people to know when we Walk people through this because as I've learned from you and been doing it with people, this is the number one thing I've seen at this moment. Walking them through this this way with, with even being gentle in tone confronts them with are they committed to change or not. Right. And it's going to be unnerving. Sometimes, you, you know, they don't want to answer the questions. They don't have the answers to the questions. They're feeling uh, a lack of certainty about, you know, how many times do all of us feel a lack of certainty in our decision-making? And there, you know, I've got a question here and I've got a thought on it, but I want to hear your answer first. How do you, when people, you can tell they start to feel threatened by the questions, 
How do you handle that? Do you have like a few different approaches you use based on who they are? Uh, what's what's yeah. your hard fought it's wisdom? A gr- actually, a great transition to where I wanted to go anyway, Chris. Thank you. Um, mm. <laughs> it's magic. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, the 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 beautiful thing about this approach is that, and I mentioned this before, when I built this model, I wanted to be able to, ex- to practice the model with somebody and then teach them what I did during the conversation without feeling dirty or gross, right? I, I want to be able to show them that I wasn't manipulating them, that I was actually, this is a consultative um, process that, that I was exercising for their benefit. So this sales model is something that's pure in terms of its intent. Uh, and one of the things that makes it pure is the fact that when you ask somebody a question, you have to know in your mind why you're asking it. And it has to be authentically in their best interest. Uh, to make that connection. And so what's what's awesome is anytime I ask somebody a question that's in their own best interest, if I get pushback, I can simply explain to them, hey, it's it's for your own good. It's, <laughs> it's um, in your own best interest. So as an example, um, uh, there's, there's some very powerful questions that I ask folks um, when it's appropriate. But oftentimes when I'm walking into an organization that's challenged, we all know that those challenges are created by and designed by knowingly or unknowingly by the leadership. And so we can ask a leader, uh, for example, um, do they feel like their sales team can be more effective? And we can start asking questions like that and then ask a deeper question. Um, you know, have you taken a look at it? What have you found? Have you made any changes? Tried to make any changes? How did it go? Why was it successful? Why wasn't it? All that stuff. But then I can ask a question like this. Is it possible? May I, well, may, first off, may I push back on something you said? They say yes. Is it possible part of the problem is you? Now, right? <laughs> I mean, that's Wait. like, that's, that's, the, that's the million dollar question. I mean, I try to ask, uh, there's a progression that I want to go into, but I'm not. It's a four-part progression. But the last question is, and this is something I walk myself through, am I my own worst enemy here? Like, right. unless I can ask that, right. I haven't done the work. Right. And so and as a salesperson, I know if my job is to move this person to change, I have to confront them with what may be the unspoken resistance that they're facing. And I have to be willing to expose that. Now, I've earned my way there. And I even asked if I could push back. So there are appropriate and inappropriate ways to have this conversation. But yes, I call it the velvet two by four. You have to be willing to whip out the velvet two by four. You have to also be willing to take it when somebody gives it back to you, right? They pick it up and they they whack you with it. It's this idea of being open and willing. If you're open and willing to be transparent and authentic, then you learn how to provide that same service to others. Yeah. I, and I think for me, the velvet two by four would work in most situations. And and my brain tends to go the exceptions. So I'm curious what you think about this because, you know, like you, I know we both have like had like tons of wild experiences in work. Like if people knew all our stories, I was just telling a story this morning that I totally forgot about, like this person that had stole papers off a CFO's desk and whatever. Um, I've had so many wild personalities I've had to lead because you and I, 
if we're comfortable in who we are and we don't people expect people to personality match us, you get a more varied, diverse team on personalities. And so I can look at all these wild personalities I've led and, and all the different personalities I've coached. And I think Velvet 2x4 is the standard wisdom. But I've also found, and I'm, I want to learn from you on this. Tell me if you found it, a better way of expressing it. Except, there are exceptions that sometimes I need to have a feather and sometimes I need to have a hammer. <laughs> and I look at how they express, right? If they express like more like a feather, then I'm going to be more like a feather. Like, you know, meet them where they are. Ask the question, but I'm going to be here when you're ready. Take right. all the time you need. Right. right. And then sometimes I'm like, look, I'm hoping right now that I'm one person who can get through that thick head. You know, if they talk like that, right? They they right. hear like that. So uh, have you ever had that blow up in your face? Has that worked for you? What's that been well, like? Leading people to change. Yeah, brother. I mean, you know, any any 30-year sales pro who's listening right now, you know, heard you and, and you know, and they're, they're, they're smiling like I am, right? Because at the end of the day, we have a job as salespeople, right? A The definition of a qualified opportunity in our world is a problem that we can solve that must be solved now. So there's a now component to every conversation I have with somebody. So I have to do my best <clears throat> to understand my client, uh, define the problem, and but I have to get them to make a decision as to whether or not this is a problem you want to address now. And if and I want to get them to a yes or a no. And I want to then explore the yes and I want to explore the no. Why is that? Yeah. Right. Why is it a yes and why is it a no? And if it's a no that I don't accept because I believe now is the time based on everything you've told me, then I want to have that conversation live in front of them. So I'm not I'm not here. I'm meeting my client where they are, but I'm a, as a leader, I am leading them to change and I'm moving them to that decision. Um, and I'm of course, I'm asking questions which create uh, a level of anticipation. And with every closing question, quote unquote, right? This is not like the always be closing manipulative type of technique. This is asking them for a decision. Um, I'm moving them through the process. So to your point, I may, I may ask maybe a less strong or less intense question, but, but I'm only going to create momentum through the buying cycle. If I if I challenge people appropriately at the time of the conversation with a yes or a no, we explore the yes or no, and they say, yes, I want to move forward. If they say no, we explore why so I can get them to that yes, if I truly believe they need to be. And then if it's if it's a no for sure at that point, then it's only a no now. It's not a no never. And because yeah. of the way that I've handled myself, because I'm focused on the problem, not on the sale, on my stuff, on my solution, I've built a level of trust and rapport that will allow me to have this conversation again. And so yeah. I can also drop, um, you know, insight, you know, if this, this, and this occur again, um, will you hesitate to reach out to me? No. Okay. Outstanding. That's all I can ask. Dude, that's, I, I feel like we could talk about beautiful ways you keep it open-ended on the, on the no part, like, so many of your questions on that are so awesome. And I think I have to express this so we can dive into that if you want. Uh, but this is what I gleam from what we've just talked about. The pro really focuses on adjusting their approach to the person. The master understands if I have to adjust my approach a ton, 
there was a shadow or a compromise that got us here that's keeping the urgency from being felt. Would that right. be something you could track with? I mean, it, it, yeah, I think a lot of folks uh, recognize. So there's this concept, you know, in um, psychology called mirroring, right? Where we, yeah. where we recognize that people are more comfortable with people who act and behave like them. So we want to mirror their personality. Um, and it's a that's why, way to- by the way. I'm picking my nose right now because I saw you do it. People <laughs> nobody can't see can, it, but, but nobody I'm can see building you rapport with you. You're safe, damn it. Um, <laughs> all right, well, so the idea here is, you know, we want to mirror so they feel more comfortable with us. Now, that's a different conversation, right? Um, you know, there are folks that believe that's manipulative. There are also folks that believe, look, I'm just accelerating um, comfort so we can get to a deeper conversation. Um, I think it's entirely appropriate to do that. To your point, however, if um, what I learned as a coach was that as a top performing salesperson, I was the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. I could wholly change my approach based on the person I was working with. And every time I changed, it was new. And every time it was new, it created uncertainty in whether or not I was going to be successful. So I was always walking the tightrope. I was always being shot out of a cannon. I was always at, at risk. Um, what we want is we want to identify predictable patterns of success that we can replicate, share across our team. So, Chris, to your point, when we provide that learning experience to somebody and they commit to change, we can support that change with a cultural commitment that's mm. across the team because we've identified those predictable patterns that we've all adopted. So, yeah. to your point, yes, we want a we want to recognize the predictable patterns that lead us to success when we sell for our organization in our unique environment, selling our unique products to our unique customers. But we want to normalize across that pattern and go practice it and practice it and practice it. And that's what WINS is. Why? Because WINS is built on how we buy. And so all we're really doing is showing up and selling the way our customers buy, the way human beings buy. We're talking about the wants, impacts, and needs that define the problem, and then we're offering our solution only after we've become the emotional and rational favorite, and only after we've built value uh, for for our offering. It's a very Mm. systematic approach that can be perfected over a career, uh, and it can be and it can transcend business and and um, sales experience. So it's something that you can take with you as you as you grow in your career from job to job, from experience to experience. And by the way, Chris, as you've discovered, it's also something leaders can use who have nothing to do with sales to um, coalesce a team around a vision and move that team forward in a very healthy way. Yeah, that the you know that's one of my favorite words, vision, and and that's what I love about this process in the sense that we're getting to this agreed upon vision, and there's an urgency to it, because vision doesn't matter if it's the second priority or the third priority. The vision is the thing. It's it's you know the bleeding heart of that movement, that organization. And now we understand in this sales conversation. And I love the way that you frame the, that moment, like, hey, I'm going to help you. For whatever reason, you're not with me. You're not jumping in. I'm, 
and, and we don't leave this at a no. Instead, when this and this happens and the pain increases, don't hesitate to reach out. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. I always, my line tends to be, I am just a text away. You know, right. I want them, I want them to know that they can reach out and, you know, because that's the thing, uh, friends reach out for help. Uh, And, uh, you know, one texted this morning and I was able to be there for them. And at the same time, it could lead to things and it was altruistic. I'm just going to help. But the soil of my business is being a good friend to people. Yeah. And that's really powerful. And, you know, for salespeople, who are used to, you know, walking, waking up every day. And we know that there's going to be competitors trying to eat our lunch. We know that the buyers are going to lie to us. We know that uh, our boss is going to be busting our traps to hit our number. We're going to be held accountable to certain activities and delivering certain levels of success. There's a lot of, of challenges and pressures that we have to deal with every day as salespeople. When we're in front of a, a customer we know how they, we know that they're showing up with some apprehension, right? They don't know what to expect from us, but they do have their experience with other salespeople. Uh, and that is what's going to color their expectations in advance of meeting you. But you have a chance to change that perception by the way you show up. And more importantly, you have a chance to create differentiation between you and the other more traditional salespeople who show up before and after you. So Mm -hmm. Chris, to your point, the reason why I'm so comfortable with this approach is that it differentiates me from my competitors. And even if I have to walk out of a meeting without a commitment to move forward, in my mind, I know it's a no now, but not a no never. And I also recognize that this is a human being that I'm dealing with. And, you know, there's, um, you know, that love of the movie, um, Jerry Maguire, not because it teaches us anything about sales necessarily, although I love the scene where his fiance punches him out because he, he didn't get, he didn't close the deal. He didn't get the contract signed. Right. So I, I totally love that scene, but they talk about, you know, there's this Dickie Fox who, who always gives these kind of insights, his, his mentor. And he talks about this idea. If you don't love everyone. You can't sell anyone. And what, what this, what this model allows me also to do is to show up and recognize the person I'm talking to as a human being. Everything that I do is because is out of love for that individual, even though I may not know them, right? If I know them, I might not like them, but I cannot know them and still love them as a human being. And my intentions are to help them get to where they want to be. And either they feel it or they don't, we don't close every deal. But I'll tell you what, their experience of working with me, the sincerity, the authenticity, um, the transparency, um, the guidance, the expertise, the, the wise questions that, that, that they experience when they're with me differentiates me from my competition. Dude, I love that. Go ahead. I don't want to cut you off. Well, I was going to say, that's how you get referrals from people that told you no. I mean, I love when that happens. Uh, because I delivered so much, not over delivering in an insecure way, in a breathless way, but just strategic, helpful insight right at their pain point. And then they're sending people your way. Right, right. And I'll tell you what, as salespeople, we operate best when we're detached from the outcome, right? Sports, 
um, the goats, the the best coaches, they always say, look, it's not about the out, the score. It's about the process. It's about the system. What we need as sales professionals is a system we can count on that's going to that's gonna force us to become excellent at executing a process that we know works. Back to this concept of sales as a game of probability, not a game of perfection. We need to have a, we need to recognize those predictable patterns of success that allow us to win more than we lose and win bigger and lose smaller. This is it. And this is what it feels like to execute it effectively. Mm, man, what a beautiful snapshot. We could spend hours on change. I know that, but this zooms it out at the highest level because now you can understand you're facing a challenge. You're getting people to make a change, making a change. I heard this said and I love it. No one likes to make a change unless it's their idea, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And so how can we help walk them through this and that they, they own this moment of commitment with you and we don't have to be afraid of asking for that commitment and knowing if we don't get it and there's no urgency, there was possibly something we missed and rushed over. Right. And we can get better at this point. Yeah. Yeah. We can get better. So to close for the, for listeners, think about this. Um, People buy when they're ready, willing, and able to change. We sell when we're ready, willing, and able to lead people to change. Hmm. Can't add anything to that. Until next time. Thanks, Chris. Peace. Thanks for listening. If you learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace.